0: You know, this is my mom, so I was terrified. And I took her to the emergency room immediately. When we got there, you know, we got triaged and we waited there, I kid you not, for maybe four hours. She got stitches and some pain meds and maybe the treatment was like 15 minutes. And, you know, when she got the bill, it was pretty outrageous.
1: Hello, my name is Chigo. And my name is Kit. This is Health Class, The Untold
0: Lessons, a podcast that combines personal stories and factual deep dives on the healthcare experiences of marginalized communities in the U.S.
1: It's our hope that this project creates a community of listeners that learns from and heals one another while illuminating ways for our healthcare system to improve.
0: Views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not take the
1: place of medical advice. Today, we discuss the topic of medical debt.
0: Medical debt is defined as any medical costs people are unable to pay up front or when they receive care.
1: With nearly one in five households experiencing medical debt, this is a topic many people can relate to firsthand.
0: The firsthand story we share in this episode comes from Briege, a pastry chef who previously had medical debt as a result of a work-related injury.
1: Even though Breege was insured at the time, her medical bills were over $2,000, which is the median amount of household medical debt according to the most recent national study.
0: However, it became clear from Breege's story that the cost of receiving care went beyond doctors' bills to lost wages and compromised work relationships.
1: A fear of high emergency room costs also prevented Breege from getting the best initial care, possibly leading to higher bills overall and worse recovery outcomes.
0: Breeze does describe the incident when she cuts her middle and ring fingers. If you'd rather not hear that part of the story, skip ahead four minutes. Once again, Breeze, welcome. Welcome to Health Class Untold. For the audience to give a little bit of background on how I, how do I know Breeze? So me and Breeze actually essentially grew up together, uh, but we went to high school together, uh, became very close. Then says we warmed the bench on volleyball oh, yeah. um, and have maintained a friendship essentially ever since. Um, Brige went to the Culinary Institute of America, but I'm going to pass it over to her to tell us a little bit more about yourself, Brige, background, and like where, where you are now.
2: Yeah, so I went to the CIA. I am a pastry chef now by trade um worked in jersey now i live in delaware in bakeries restaurants wholesale all that yeah it's restaurant industry is kind of crazy especially when it comes i guess to health like being pre-covid it's very like even if you were sick you come in Mm -hmm. and manager determines whether or not you were living or dead and Mm -hmm. if you are You know, even if you're like, I've had times where I was like hacking my brains out and just like still working. They're like, you look fine. Keep going. You know, it's, it's very like surreal feeling, especially now because someone sneezes and everyone's like, just leave. But like knife cutting, cutting yourself is like a big deal. I had a knife fall off the table once into my leg. That was super, Uh, (laughs) um, didn't go anywhere for that. Just kind of like plucked it out and wash it off of the prep sink. So. Oh my God. So how I got into, I guess, the mess that was my uh, hand injury. I actually was on a stage. So in the restaurant, that's kind of like a working interview. You go and you like spend a day and you work a shift to see how you like it, how they like you, everything like that. I went to this really cute little like winery in Pennsylvania thought this is cool. It's like an into, they had me working. I had to slice baguettes and they were kind of frozen. So they were like, Hey, you should use the meat slicer to do it. And I worked in like a cafe before. So I was used to using meat slicer. The table it was on though was kind of not secure to the floor Um, So it kind of shook a little bit. So I realized that a little off the back. So I was like, cool, I got to be careful. Um, So I like lined it up on the thing. And I noticed one kind of slipped and I uh, stupidly reached my hand over the guard. And at the same time I did that, I bumped the table. So I like fell into the meat slicer and I cut uh, my two middle fingers I found out after the fact that they had gotten a um, like a metal glove that you're supposed to wear, like for safety, like a Kevlar glove that you're supposed to wear for this very reason. So you don't cut yourself in the kitchen. They didn't have the proper medical supplies. So my hand got wrapped up with a side towel, some duct tape and some gloves that they had to fashion. But I really wanted the job. So I continued to work for two hours. The chef. The sous chef and the chef had left the room for like the second I cut myself. They walked back in and I was like, Hey, and I was blood. Yeah. So when the chef came back in too, the first thing he said to me is don't tell our manager how you cut yourself because it would be a legal issue. And because I wanted the job, the first thing I was, I wasn't going to do was to throw the chefs under the bus. So the manager I was like, oh, what happened? And I was like, oh, I slipped and I cut myself.
1: Damn. So why did you want this job so bad? So the job
2: I was currently in, the environment had gotten really toxic. And I just kind of felt that need to leave. But I wanted to be in another job before I left. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I waited to hear okay. back. And I didn't get the job, obviously. And then I was like, okay, like, I had to go to an emergency one center where there was so much bleeding that they were more concerned about stopping the bleeding. So while they stitched me, they shredded my tendon. So they caused even more damage. They then sent me to a plastic surgeon instead of like a, they should have sent me to like an orthopedic, like a hand surgeon. Sent me to a plastic mm-hmm. surgeon, I guess, thinking, I'm a girl. I just want to care about what my hand looks like. Not that, like, I actually need my
1: hands to do my job. Like, <laughs> do they know what your job was? Like, what I said, I'm
2: pretty sure I was like, I was at a job interview. I'm a chef. I cut myself on a meat slicer. But I guess it didn't I register mean, that, like, chefs need I need hands. to, like, touch things. I need to be able to hold a knife. All these things. Mm. And it wasn't till like, way later on that I found out from my, you know, physical therapist that they said, like, you should have been coming here, like, since your stitches were closed up. And the way they had, like, wait So there was a lot of, like, weird gaps. It also didn't help that, you know, nothing like that had ever happened to me. I worked for two hours after it happened, looked down at one point. I was like, oh, this glove is filling up with blood. I should probably, like, leave. I didn't want to seem appear
1: weak, you know. Uh, yeah the things we do for our jobs is insane
2: and I realized like now I was like god Breeze you're so stupid the second it happened I should have left gone straight to an emergency room at an actual hospital but you know part of the reason is was like you know the emergency room is going to cost so much and with me being like kind of between jobs and like not you know, I had other medical issues. So, like, I'm racking up the medical bills, like, since high school. And it's scary. I was like, I don't want to, like, not be able to pay for this, but I don't know what to do. I actually, went to my primary doctor first, and they turned me away saying, we don't take walk-ins. So, that was mm. fun.
1: I was like, I'm bleeding out. <laughs> yeah. So, the toxic job that you had before, were you insured in that position?
2: I was for a while. I'm not sure if at this time I was still insured. That's a whole other thing. They cut off our insurance without telling us. Wow. Uh, when I went to pick up medications one day at CVS and they were like, you're not insured. And I was like, no, I am. And they were like, oh yeah, we didn't tell you. We We cut it off. We didn't think you would find out.
1: What was their justification for cutting it off?
2: Honestly, it was like a lot of BS. They were... Not great at running a business. Mm -hmm. It was money issues for them, but they had like so much pride and like ego that they threw like every other excuse, you know, at it. So it was really hard to really determine why they did this. It was just really shitty. Yeah. Yeah. So went through all that. Obviously, you know, sending me to like a plastic surgeon where it's so funny that it's like it looks like so little like work and you know, thousands of dollars later, or I think I was still sure. So it was like a couple, it was around a thousand, Mm. but still for me, it was like a lot of money. I actually ended up writing back the winery and I was like, Hey, listen, like I'm going to come clean this. I was like, yes, I slept and cut my hand. That wasn't like a total lie, but I cut myself on the meat slicer and your chef told me not to tell you. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to need you to help me pay for these medical bills because, because of the unsecured table, because of the finding out after the fact of the safety precautions that had been completely ignored about the meat slicer, because someone had hurt themselves a month earlier, because of the lack of medical supplies on site, and honestly, the lack of the chef telling me to like, hey, stop what you're doing, go get help. We can finish this once you're better. It was like a, oh great, cool. You're like the first, you know, like the first girl I've ever seen to like not cry about it and keep working.
1: So they were glorifying you for working through your pain. Yeah. Wow. Which is typical in like a male dominant. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard food industries, right? Male dominated so you said this happened like three years ago Mm -hmm. how long did it take for you to heal enough for you to know that yes I could still use my right hand
2: probably about a year and a half after for a while I had to work with like I couldn't bend this finger for a long time so it made Mm -hmm. holding of course everything in this hand holding spatulas anything i used to make like macaroons a lot which it it takes a lot of like whipping and i could hold it my spatula but i have lost my like endurance and my like grip i still like can't like soda bottles anything little that i have to i'm just like passing it to someone else like someone open this and like thought it was all good in the clear. And actually last year was the first time in like a while that I, my hand started like cramping again at work. And because it was like, I hadn't had that energy, hadn't affected me for a while. Of course, like no sympathy from my like current employer at the time, they were just like, okay, well, I don't know what you want me to do. And I'm like, I literally can't, like, I couldn't hold knives. Like my hand was just like dropping stuff. And It's still like, sometimes I kind of question, I'm like, when I get older, will my hand not be super functional? It's 50-50, like could be fine, could have like a lot of nerve issues with it as I grow older, so. Yeah.
0: How much time did you spend recovering and therefore not working? Because there is Cost to that as well that you know impacted your ability to you know function in the day to day, you know, worrying about how do I pay rent, how do I pay all these other
2: things, right? Yeah, so I definitely at the time it happened because of surgery and stuff, I think I maybe in total took a week off work, but because you know I needed to make money and I needed this job, I basically went to work and was like, Hey, listen, I can't, I'm not working at a hundred percent, but also, you know, there's really no such thing as like leave really. And the restaurant, it doesn't matter if you're sick or you're injured. You I've had friends come to work with like casts on like unable to walk. And they're like, we'll set up a stool for you to put your leg on while you stand here and you do your job. So I had like my big ass bandaged hand and i also was on a um a lifting limit for a couple months where i wasn't allowed. first it was like you shouldn't really be lifting anything over like two pounds and then it go to five pounds and then ten pounds and in the morning it was hard because i opened the bakery so i'm like all these trays and they're not that they're heavy but i've got a lot of them going in and out of the oven there's a lot of moving parts and i was like i'm gonna need someone to come in with me to help me, maybe take some trade the heavier things, put them in and out. I remember one of the bread girls I had her come over, and she would ice things because I couldn't hold the pastry bag to like do some of them. Um, I couldn't pipe or like main breakfast donut. I couldn't ice a bunch of things because I h- couldn't hold my the little like tools. During that time, I spent a lot of time doing some office work, some just like random kind of stuff to kind of like, keep me busy be like, keep me able to work, even though I wasn't at like full capacity in the kitchen. So I kind of took like a managerial a little bit, but like, not like I got a raise or anything with that. And then I also kind of worked part-time at the cafe itself more during my recovery than like in the kitchen. And even though it was the same company, they paid me hourly, like basically minimum wage when I worked the cafe, as opposed Mm -hmm. to like my salary when I worked in the bakery. So I didn't really have a lot of time off work, but it was definitely really frustrating for me and for the people around me. It like dampened a lot of relationships and negative feelings other people started having towards me because, you know, they see me not pulling my weight. Right. I am literally doing the best I can. I kind of only have my one hand to work with and I'm not as ambidextrous as I thought I was. (laughs) So
0: did you take off? Well, I'm hoping that you took off days for, you know, surgery.
2: Yeah. I kind of had to take off those days because I, you know, you never know how long it's going to be, but I would take the day and then like, I can't even remember if I took the day after to give my like hand one day of kind of rest in between. I think I did, but I had to show up with a doctor's note, basically. You know, at this point, my boss was, you know, I don't really trust you. So, you know, I don't know what you could be doing. I'm like, what do you think I'm doing? And totally wrapped up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and I was on like... Pain meds for a little while. So it's like those make you kind of like loopy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at work, you can't really take those. So it was just like, gonna just work through the pain, literally. <laughs> Do you still work at this place, no. this toxic
0: no. place? Good. No, no. We, Brege, I wanted to see if you were comfortable discussing. So, like, of course, you know, this was a very traumatic incident mm-hmm. medically, health wise. It impacted you for a couple of years at this point, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to understand how it compounded things that you already deal with in in your, within your medical history, right? Like you were alluding to having had like history of, of dealing with the medical industry within healthcare. Curious to hear a little bit more about that experience that you had and then how this compounded, you know, some of the stressors that you already deal with. Yeah given that?
2: So ever since I was little, I've had this thing and it really hit a peak in high school and then college. I actually had to restart college. And I found out after the fact that I have cyclic vomiting syndrome, super fun. (laughs) It's caused by anxiety. It causes anxiety. It's where your brain, no matter what, like if you're excited, it, it's like, oh my God, she's anxious. How can we fix this? I know, let's get it out. So, I had been in and out of the hospital for probably two years, three years at that point, just like in and out of VER. Starting in high school. Starting in high school, for just like I had to go get like rehydrated a bunch of times, like having an episode. And at that point, we didn't know what it was. So, It was really nerve wracking for me, for my mom, like after having to deal with like everything at the medical, my hand, it was kind of like also one of the first kind of instances where it was all up to me. So just kind of reflecting on that. I remember a bunch of times calling my mom being like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Is this what you like dealt with? This it like really put everything, her struggles into perspective. So, you know, I was used to kind of like being in and out, never really having to take on the financial burden myself. And then previously, when I had moved down to Delaware, I got a really bad concussion. So that I had time off from that too. And that recovery was like thinking it would only be a couple weeks was really like months. It wasn't like a full year until I was like fully recovered from that, Um, especially the heightened mental activity, I guess, that it caused kind of because it triggered a really like hard spiral of anxiety and depression as well, which going on and like trying to work through stuff in your head while working in like a retail or just in the kitchen, but also with like retail where you're surrounded by people, you're expected to work at a certain level for basically as much time as you can while dealing with the customer with a smile on your face, <laughs> pretending that everything's fine. So that was definitely a lot to handle. When my hand happened, it was again like, great, one more thing on my plate where I have to kind of pretend like everything's fine. So.
0: So it's uh, very obvious that your employer, your coworkers were not supportive at all. But can you speak more to the community around you? Of course, you know, you're close with your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have you you're living with your boyfriend. But you were speaking a lot to having to deal with this on your own, especially mm-hmm. from a financial perspective. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, my mom was... There for me from like a supportive standpoint. But, you know, she, you know, she raised me, she's a single mom. She works as a preschool aide, so she doesn't make like a ton of money either. And I felt it made me feel bad a little bit because she's, you know, like, I want to help you, I want to do these things, but like, I can't help you financially. Like, you kind of have to figure this out on your own. So you know, growing up, you're like, oh, well, like, I've never had to worry about medical bills before. Like, mom just does that. Like, that's a mom thing to do. So it was very, like, newsflash. You're an adult now. You need to figure this out yourself. You know, I went to visit her. She was like, I'll change your bandages. She, like, washed my hair for me a couple of times. You know, I couldn't get this hand wet in showers forever. And I got a lot of hair. So it was very hard <laughs> to get it there.
1: Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have physical and emotional support from your mom. Yeah.
2: I mean, work, it's like sometimes I could tell my employers wanted to kind of help me, but then it was, you know, it was too much for them because of their own issues with their ego or whatever that they're like, I want to help you. But like, you brought this on yourself when you went behind our backs and, you know, did this. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like a... They were good at like finding the right points emotionally and then like digging at them in a negative kind of manipulating way. So, mm-hmm. and then of course, you know, people at work want to help, but only for so long. They're like, they get to the point where like, okay, like you should be over this and you should just be making these donuts by yourself. Like we've got our own work to do. We're just carrying your weight now,
1: blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It sounds like work was not supportive at all. No support from bosses yeah. or employers, but you did have some physical and emotional support from yeah. your boyfriend or your mom, which is yeah. pretty great, but no financial support anywhere. No. no. Yeah. What kind of support would you have liked? What additional support would you have liked?
2: I kind of wish my employer had kind of put their ego aside and mm. were a little bit more understanding that would have been like I think a big emotional burden just kind of lifted from that point of view. I mean, obviously I would have I would have also appreciated if the place where it happened like that I you know were more yes, in the end they accommodated like what I needed, but I just found it so weird that they were very like against helping out like you'd think like if something happens in your home. Like if someone gets hurt, you want to do everything in your power to make sure that they're okay and taken care of whatever, especially in a place of business where you've literally set up systems in place that if this happens, this is what gets done. It's not like it only got done because I reached out, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that kind of chain of effects started when the chef basically said, you know, don't tell what happened or I'll get in trouble. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm currently in trouble. So almost like the, I don't know if it's like a system thing. I don't know, just like an easier route. Like I felt like I had to jump through a lot of hoops to get the issue resolved. Mm -hmm. I feel like this should be easier. Like I'm obviously not the only person that this has happened to. And I'm sure it's been even harder for other people or when places just completely refuse or... Heaven forbid I had to get legal. I was like, it could have been way worse, but it also could have been a lot better. So I remember the
0: first time I heard Breesia's story and, you know, my mouth was agape the first time. And it usually is every subsequent time I've heard about it. Obviously it's graphic, um, but the amount of failings that occurred... In the time period when that this happened to her is pretty astounding.
1: Yeah. Like the fact that during at her interview, they told her to lie, first of all. And they didn't give her proper warning before using the meat cutter. And then her having to work for two hours with the injury before seeing medical help is just amazing. And the fact that they glorified that instead of encouraging her to go see a doctor is really shameful
0: yeah i mean that it happened in an interview to begin with is pretty wild because Mm -hmm. she's not gonna have like insurance in that particular situation Mm -hmm. you know and that's like one of the biggest causes of medical debt to begin with
1: yeah although people who are insured still experience medical debt
0: oh yeah absolutely but the other thing is that like this is also In conjunction with it being like a one time emergency cost or a surprise cost, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I think in some of the research that we were reading, 66% of people say medical debt bills were the result of a one time or short term medical expense versus being chronic, you know, illness, Mm -hmm. which is what makes Breeze's story even more relatable, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And also a lot of people experience heavy medical bills from going to the emergency room. Exactly. something that she mentioned, you know, when she cut her finger, she immediately thought I couldn't go to the emergency right away. She drove to her primary care doctor Mm -hmm. because she thought the cost would be so high. And it's amazing how like when we are harmed or injured in some way in seeking help, we Start thinking about the costs already.
0: Exactly. Instead of our well being.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, in some of the research we did, twenty one percent of people say emergency rooms visits uh, represent the largest share of bills that they've had problems paying. Uh, which is no surprise to me. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever had to go to the emergency room, Chigo, or like I've got had to go with somebody to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. But one time, so when I was moving out of my previous home in Philadelphia, I guess this is like two apartments ago or something. I had my mom come help me. I was living in a one bedroom at the time. She was helping me clean up the apartment before I had to be out the next day. And she was just like cleaning the cabinets or something and one was left open and she got on a stool to go up and clean it again and she jammed her head into the corner of a cabinet and she was bleeding pretty profusely it like you know this is my mom mm-hmm. so i was terrified um and i like took her to the emergency room immediately when we got there you know we got triaged and they were like yeah Like, you're fine. Like, the only reason it looks bad is because you got hit in the head and that, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, capillaries in your head or something like that. It's just bleeding a lot. And we waited there, I kid you not, for maybe four hours. No. She got stitches and, like, some pain meds and, like, maybe the treatment was, like, 15 minutes. And, you know, when she got the bill, it was pretty outrageous. There's even been times where I've gotten and you know, accidents or gotten hurt where I'm just like, you know what, I'll be fine because I don't want to deal with it.
1: Mm-hmm. And what's really shocking is that most of these, like when you break it down, like itemize your bill, most of the costs are like administrative costs. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times that's what makes the bill so much higher, not actually the time spent or the skill spent providing the care in fact in the United States we spend four times more than the average of other wealthy countries and significantly more than we spend on preventative or long-term care on administrative costs.
0: Right. And it's a pretty significant circumstance for the U.S. where between 2010 and 2019, healthcare spending increased from 16.3% to 17% of the national GDP
1: it's just going up
0: right it's not a problem that's going away mm-hmm. anytime soon it looks like
1: yeah
0: and prices in the u.s tend to be a primary driver of the cost difference between the u.s and other wealthy countries so like the prices of healthcare in the united states are higher regardless of how much they're being used Hmm of the things like that's being talked about at a national stage. Like people are talking about eliminating student debt. You know what I mean? But
1: uh, Don't get me started with that.
0: I mean, listen, yeah, we can discuss that at another time. <laughs> but um, medical debt is not ever something that anybody's talking about canceling.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess like if they're like single payer health insurance, it's not eliminating medical debt, but it's managing it a bit better if everyone... Is insured. Like what we hear in Breeja's story was how there was kind of like a gap in care. She wasn't really sure if she was insured because her employer just took away her insurance plan out of nowhere. Right. Um, you know, so like if they were single payer, maybe or just like universal health care coverage, you know, people would be stuck in situations like that where they're just wondering if they have medical coverage for their injuries.
0: Right, exactly, at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I can't even believe that. Yeah. So one of the other things that we've uncovered when we were doing research for this episode is exploring how people are paying their medical debts. Mm-hmm. And I think these figures were pretty interesting. Uh, so 37% of people borrow money from family or friends. 34% increase their credit card debt. 41% take another job or work more. Uh, 70% just cut down on their other expenses, such as food, clothing, and household items. And then 59% use essentially all their savings to try and pay oh, wow!
1: Them. Yeah, the, the portion that you mentioned of asking money from family and friends that reminds me of how the most common fundraiser on GoFundMe is for medical bills. Right. Yeah, just yeah. a lot of people asking their community to help them out with their bills.
0: So one of the things that gave me relief for Briege was that she ended up being able to get this medical debt paid off by the owners of the establishment in which she got hurt. But that's like a very, very unique use case, I think. I mean, despite her not having the financial support from her partner or her mother, she did have you know, folks in the legal community that she could reach out to, to essentially help write emails, to escalate the issue with the employer, which is not something that everybody has access to. I wouldn't even be able to name a lawyer off the top of my head that I know personally, truth be told. So I usually try to like, if I had to uh, write a menacing email, (laughs) it'd really be based off of my own knowledge. So I'm glad that that worked out for her. But I would love to talk about you know the level of privilege even in her story even though she comes from a vocational trade right how that changes once you look into different demographics of people
1: yeah for example people with children under the age of 18 they experience much higher share of medical debt in this country black people in this country experienced the most medical debt out of all races and interestingly enough people who have some college education, not like a complete degree yet, just a little bit. They are 26% of those who have medical debt, which is the largest share of those with medical debt. And a lot of this debt is also concentrated in the South mm-hmm. in this country. If you're looking at Northeast, Midwest, Southwest, um, it's mostly in the Southern states in this nation.
0: So i considering how especially even with covid the politicians of those regions have been quick to dismiss federal aid from legislation passed recently considering that their citizens would benefit greatly from those
1: yeah speaking of covid-19 the covid-19 medical debt collection relief act of 2021 it's a bill that Hasn't been approved in the Senate or House yet. Those introduced this February, and the bill that temporarily limits certain activities to collect medical debts by healthcare providers that apply for or accept COVID nineteen financial relief. The bill also applies to specific consumer protections to medical debt incurred for COVID nineteen related testing and treatment between February first, twenty twenty, and sixty days after the COVID-19 public health emergency ends, which it hasn't ended yet. So that's a little bit of relief for those who are experiencing medical debt from COVID-19 or during the time of this pandemic. It would be great if it was passed. At least it's something to offer assistance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed that gets somewhere, just given the amount of people that have been and continue to be impacted by the pandemic. Thank you to our producer,
1: Annette, our researcher, Abby Ewa, and our behind the scenes team, Maya and Hannah. Thanks also to our amazing guest, Breege for sharing your story. Please follow, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You can also follow us on Instagram at healthclassuntold for podcast updates and additional health class content.
1: Is there a topic you'd like to see us discuss? Feel free to send us your ideas through Instagram, our website, or by email. That's healthclassuntold.com or
0: healthclassuntold at gmail.com.
1: Thanks for listening. This has been Health Class Untold Lessons. Do, 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 do. Oh, better stop that right now. <laughs>